Thank you, uh, my dear uh, brother Samson, and uh, thanks uh, to CBMC for this opportunity. I was introduced to this by someone I, whose name I saw on the screen, uh, dear Bastian. Uh, so it's a joy and a pleasure. When Paul is the topic, actually, there's nothing new one can add that is not known. To quote, uh, you know, Bishop Tom Wright, Paul's letters in standard translation today can occupy fewer than 80 pages. But it's a safe bet to say that these letters, page for page, have generated more comments, more sermons and seminars, more monographs and dissertations than any other writing from the ancient world. So what can I say that is new? Nothing that you have not heard before. But as an educator, I believe that spaced repetition is good for learning. In addition, remember this session is called Man about Manna, Monday Manna. And uh, we all know very well, Manna did not come in different flavors like chocolate, strawberry or vanilla. It was the same every day. Some Israelites found it boring and complained. Still, the fact remains that manna was life-giving for each one of them. So bear with me. If today's manna is nothing new under the sun, it's not a bad thing, especially when we remember that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So let me begin by making a statement about Paul. The world was never the same again after Paul. I'm sure that Paul would have disputed this statement and corrected me by saying, it was not after Paul or Cephas or Apollos or any mere human being. The world has never been the same after Jesus. While granting that point to Paul, it is no contest that Paul's impact has lasted and continues even after 2000 years. So who was Paul? Paul was an active man, but not an attractive one to look at or to listen to. He went from city to city, speaking about one God and his son, Jesus. Wherever he went, he set up little communities of people who accepted his message. He mentored them by visits and by writing letters to them. One could also call Paul a multinational enterprise. As a Jew by birth, he knew the value of signs and wonders. As a Greek by scholarship, he understood the wisdom, the value of wisdom and knowledge. And as a Roman citizen, he knew the glory of power and authority. And as an effective multinational enterprise, he leveraged all three areas at different times. Paul was creative, compelling, and controversial on what he spoke, both in his days and even till date. He spoke on topics like Jesus, God, the world, and what our response to Jesus should be. His work has not only outlived him, but by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him and others, including us, it has grown 
immeasurably more than Paul may have asked or imagined. How did all of this happen? What did Paul have that other people didn't? What did he think he was doing? And why was he doing it? What was it that drove Paul the apostle, known earlier as Saul of Tarsus? What motivated him in his innermost being? Now, these are great questions. And my attempt to answer them, some of them, uh, will be based on what can be gleaned from scripture, especially his epistles. Uh, my discussions that I had with a good friend of mine, Augustus, some of you know him, and from my personal reflection. While one can come up with a long list of what made Paul tick, I'll present four key ones. Something that if we can try to include in our spiritual, corporate, and social life could help improve its quality. Firstly, Paul's journey as an ambassador for Jesus was built on a lifetime of strong faith. His journey with Jesus started a long time before his Damascus road encounter. Paul's following Jesus was not a conversion from no faith to faith or from one faith to another different faith. His following Jesus was a matter of getting clarity and growth in his existing faith of the one God. The Greek word pistis found in the New Testament is usually translated as faith in the sense of belief, but it can also mean the personal commitment that accompanies a belief. In other words, it could also mean loyalty. Paul's Damascus experience never changed his prior loyalty to one God. All it did was to reveal to him that the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It helped him realize that Jesus had not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. Paul's loyalty to the one God was only strengthened on the road to Damascus. And as he walked and lived by the spirit, it grew based on this firm foundation. Of course, as Paul evolved and came out of his cocoon to soar as a believer, he also had to shed off some old paradigms and practices that were no longer relevant after God had finally spoken to him through his son, Jesus Christ. We can see in Paul's life the importance of having a firm faith and remaining loyal to it. I remember in 2001 asking the late Dr. John Edmund Haggai, the founder of Haggai Institute, to tell me the secret of his and Haggai Institute's success. He replied, I and Haggai Institute believe that only Jesus can transform the world. Our mission is simple. We equip Christian leaders to be more effective in demonstrating and presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and to train others to do the same. The secret of our success has been simply remaining loyal to this mission for over 30 years. Yes, remaining committed and loyal to what we believe in both in good and bad times, brings meaningful and lasting success. 
Now, don't get me wrong. While Paul was always loyal and committed to the one God, his life was not an unblemished one. While it appeared that he was following God, he himself admits in 1 Timothy 1 that due to his ignorance and unbelief, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man who God's mercy and grace alone saved. Paul's journey with Jesus was completely different from the other apostles. The other apostles journeyed with Jesus from the start of his ministry for three years. During all this time, they were unaware and or unsure of who Jesus really was. It was only 50 days after Jesus's resurrection on the day of Pentecost, did they, real, they clearly realize that Jesus was the Christ. Paul, on the other hand, begins his journey personally encountering the risen Christ on Damascus Road. And though he immediately preached Christ in Damascus, it was his three years with Jesus in Arabia that matured him, since he says he never consulted any of the other disciples I'm certain he spent a good amount of, of time, of solitary time, studying the scriptures in the light of the risen Christ, in prayer, in contemplation, and in conversation with Jesus. Most of these disciplines, he actually continued throughout his life. How about you and me? Are we like how Saul was before he encountered the risen Christ? zealous and busy, doing a lot of apparently godly activity, just like what we saw in that video of being fishermen who don't fish, but just do all the other activity, but not first spending time with God's word in prayer, in contemplation, and then communing with Jesus, and then communicating with others. One thing I know is taking solitary time and spending it studying God's word, prayer, and contemplation can be life transforming. It's not necessary for you to be absolutely alone, though it may help. It could be an immersive training or a retreat. The month I spent away from home in Singapore during my Haggai seminar, not alone, but away from family, work, and other cares of the world, and those days, of course, there was no WhatsApp to hound me. That time transformed my life irreversibly. It definitely did also for Paul in Arabia. I think his time alone with Jesus was one of the key things that made Paul tick. Thirdly, reading the book of Acts and Paul's epistles, one cannot but admire the strategic mind of Paul. Had the Harvard's Business Review been around in his days, there would have been a few case studies published on his activities. Let me mention just one of his very moves to spread the gospel. It is his strategy of using cities. Paul took the gospel from city to city. Cities were densely populated. Cities even today tend to be places where culture is formed. Many cities of influence, or many, sorry, many centers of influence 
come from cities, including government, its lawmakers, arts, entertainment, business, the marketplace, universities, new knowledge, media, and communication centers. Paul was fully aware of this, that the river of influence originated from the city and flowed out into towns and villages. The way to transform a culture was by transforming the city. This was Paul's ministry strategy as he set up little communities during his travels. He later visited some of them and also mentored them by writing letters and building capacity of the local leaders. Most of Paul's letters were written to cities. By AD 100, more than 40 Christian communities existed in cities across the Mediterranean world, including North Africa and parts of Italy. By AD 300, half the citizens of that region were Christian, whereas 90% of the countryside remained unbelievers. Even today, cities are strategic players or places for the spread of the gospel. They always have been. What about us? We need to be strategic, be it on the work and business front or on the personal front. Yes, like Paul, we will remain dependent on God and the Holy Spirit, but equally we must be strategic and not miss any opportunity that presents itself. Finally, Paul's Damascus Road encounter reveals clearly one more fundamental trait that made Paul tick. He was a lifelong learner with a truly teachable spirit. In his words, despite being a pedigreed Israelite from the Elite tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, and a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of his religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. Wow, that was a mouthful. But Paul realizes that all of that was worthless. The only thing valuable for him was to know, that is, to learn about Christ Jesus. Like another famous evangelist, Apollos, who had not heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was taught about it by Priscilla and Aquila, Paul was willing to unlearn and to learn more about Jesus. Teachability is one of the most important ingredients for success in our volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous or VUCA world. I don't say this because I'm an educator, but because I have seen its value ever since I've adopted a lifestyle of lifelong learning. To conclude, what made politic? What motivated him to become the person he was and remain one of the most influential persons in history? I would stick my neck out and say that after Paul encountered the risen Christ, his motivation was his mission, which simply was to take the gospel to everyone in the world. 
Paul states his mission in Colossians 1.28. Him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. Paul, who matured in his faith after encountering Jesus, now wanted everyone to mature in Christ. Why? Because he realized knowing Jesus was everything. He knew everything that he had, his time, talent, treasure, and other things was worth giving up for the gospel. What about us? Are we mission-driven? And is it a Christ-driven mission? May the Christ who made Paul tick make us tick as well. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to gather together to hear your word. Lord, we just look at these old uh, examples of faith, Lord. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will grow on that firm foundation of faith that we have in Christ. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will personally encounter the Christ if we haven't, and to be filled with his Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we will be driven by this mission, a Christ-driven mission. Help us to be strategic, and most of all, Lord, let us be lifelong learners. Let us be willing, Lord, to be coming daily to you and to learn from you. We thank you, and I, I pray, Lord, for each of these people in their businesses, in their uh, daily uh, employment with others, that you would bless them, Lord. Lord, people have many needs. And we just ask, Lord, that you would be Jehovah Jireh. You will provide for their needs. I pray for those who need a measure of healing, Lord. Lord, as you walked on this earth, you healed so many. Lord, whether it's, it's just a healing of relationships, physical healing, spiritual healing, I pray, Lord, that each one will get a brighter and better focus, Lord, on what they desire to do, not just for themselves, but for the world that you have created, Lord, out of love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.